This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. A few days ago, President Trump called for a review of the fiduciary rule, which is in part designed to make sure that investment advisors are looking out for the best interest of their clients and not just looking to line their own pockets. But what is interesting is that an earlier draft called for a 180-day moratorium on the rule put in place by the Obama administration and set to take effect in April. At this point, no one on Wall Street seems to be exactly sure what will happen with this rule. But many experts agree that if the rule is not implemented, the people are the ones that are most likely hurt by it are you, the American citizens. Wharton professor Kent Smetters joins me here in studio to discuss the issue. As we mentioned, you hear him every Tuesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern time here on Sirius XM 111 with his show, Your Money. Good to see you. Good to be here. Uh, I mean, how concerned are you right now? Um, so the Trump administration basically said this fiduciary rule um, became a big mess. Yeah. And they, they're actually correct on that. It, okay. it did become a big mess in the sense that um, – the Obama administration initially had the idea of just a very clean, simple rule that basically said that when you roll over your 401k or 403b into an IRA, and by the way, that's pretty much what this rule applies to. Right. It, it does not apply to um, you know, uh, uh, financial advice uh, regarding your taxable brokerage account. Right. All, all that is still very commission-driven and very much conflicts of interest. But the it only applied to this, mainly this IRA rollover um, uh, uh, world. And what happened is it was going to be very simple that that IRA rollover process had to have a person's best interest in mind. And early, that was generally considered to be a non-commission approach. Because right. commissions, by almost by definition, only exist because they're more hidden. You could always yeah. be more transparent yep. in the way you charge. Um, and then what happened? The industry got to the Obama administration. They introduced these what's called the uh, best interest contract exemption and some other language that basically snuck commissions back in. And so I, my, you know, uh, excitement about the rule uh, substantially diminished. Okay. Partly because it also redefined fiduciary to mean someone who could collect a commission, right. and that is generally not considered a, a, a compatible. And so um, uh, the fact – but what I would say is that um, the rule probably did more good than bad. Right. I, this is one of those examples I would have done a, a repeal and replace, <laughs> you know, that, not just a repeal. Boy, we haven't uh, heard that before. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, um, it, it, the, the Trump administration is right that the rule got really, really messy. So is it most likely that we will see tweaks to it? Or will it be uh, potentially pulled back and then some sort of other rule will be put in place? Because I think we can agree that, you know, the concerns over the path of investors right now yeah. and being looked out for is a very important aspect to, to you know, having enough money for retirement. Yeah, absolutely. This is one area where the Trump administration could really show that they're in favor of mainstream and not Wall Street. Okay. I mean, and, and this is coming from a guy who I'm actually very critical of a lot of the financial regulations that's been imposed on Wall Street from the Dodd-Frank Act. Yep. I was never a big fan of the Volcker rule. I think it's vague and hard to enforce. It only kind of enriches trial attorneys. 
attorneys. Um, but nonetheless, when it comes to individuals who, by definition, are looking for advice because they don't understand yeah. this language, that's where you want protections. And so, you know, the hope would be that, you know, the administration could see the need for protections at the individual, less sophisticated uh, world. Uh, but my guess right now, given that they have not announced the replacement, is that this is just on the path of a repeal. And we go back to the old days where even the IRA rollover um, is now could be uh, moved into a commission-based uh, account. But it, it does seem like that if if something is moved on the fiduciary role, yeah. that probably there will be an appeal from the other side. And, and then we're going to, like a lot of things right now, we're going to see this kind of end up in some sort of litigation, correct? Yeah, so this is a little bit more uh, in, in, in details, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is the fiduciary rule is already the law. It's actually yeah. part of what's called ERISA. And uh, in particular, when you roll over a 401k or a 403b into an IRA, um, the ERISA protections, including uh, the uh, fiduciary protections, still apply to that rollover. Okay. Now, there's a big debate to whether if you make additions to it, um, uh, just your own additions on the side to that IRA, the, does ERISA still apply? And there's been various court decisions. I always tell people, don't make additions. Just open up a separate IRA. That uh, that uh, rollover IRA should already be covered under ERISA. The problem is in 2005, the Bush administration came along and did some rulemaking on a part of the DOL. And listen, that was a political pointy in the Bush administration Department is not, of Labor, yeah. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is not a bash. Uh, but the Department of Labor said basically soften kind of this language. Mm -hmm. The fact that matters, their softening of that language was is actually illegal, in my opinion. It violates ERISA. And, but what happens is that it takes the industry to then sue very costly lawsuits to try to undo that. And most, right. most of the industry doesn't want to undo it because they are, are commission-based uh, people. Sure, yeah. It's only the small segment of fee-only advisors that had the incentive to uh, uh, organizing and uh, sue. I'll give you one example. Years ago, there was called the Merrill Lynch rule. Okay. The Merrill Lynch rule basically said that broker-dealers could call themselves financial, could actually give financial advice that was otherwise a prohibited transaction, um, provided that advice was incidental. It wasn't core to their business. Right. Um, and what, it, what happened is the fee-only advisors, the NAPFA group, along with the Financial Planning Association, spent millions of dollars to sue the – in this case, it was the SEC rulemaking – sued the SEC, won that case in a two-to-one decision in the uh, D.C. Court of Appeals. And, but they spent millions of dollars to do that. Right. And, uh, of course, and most of the industry, uh, of course, loved that rule because yeah. you know they benefited from commission. So it's, it's really costly. To, to challenge these rules, and in my opinion, um, not having the fiduciary protection is is blatantly uh, against the the, the ERISA law. Eight four four Warden is the number if you'd like to join in and give us a call. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're talking with Ken Smatters. We're talking about this uh, potential change or repeal of the fiduciary rule. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Now, in reading some of the articles that is talking about what has happened happened in the last you know couple of weeks surrounding yeah. this a lot of the the big firms are basically taking the approach of we have to go of yes this fiduciary rule is going to be in place come 
April 10th, I think it, it, yeah. the date is. And we have to, you know, we have to have everything in place, assuming that that it is going to be the, you know, the law of the land come April 10th. Yeah, my guess is it, it will not be. Um, I think uh, it's it's pretty uh, clear that the Trump administration, but unless they can get, ultimately the decision is the Department of Labor. Ultimately, that decision in theory could be made by the career staff there. Yeah. But the head of the Department of Labor can essentially just decide, who's a political appointee, can just kind of decide we're not going to move forward uh, with this rule. And my guess is that's where we're, where we're headed. Uh, part of this is also a little bit of the optics surrounding this because yeah. of the fact that uh, you have Gary Cohen uh, as part of the Trump administration. Uh, you have uh, Steve Mnuchin. So there, the optics part of it, of the, of the fact that this is seen as, you know, the banking industry just trying to protect themselves. Right. Where do you sit on that on that commentary? Yeah, and a lot of the criticisms that the banking industry has of a lot of the – um, uh, the uh, different rulemaking and regulation that came out of the Dodd-Frank Act and years earlier was the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. A lot of that criticism, I think, is legitimate. Okay. Um, I think it, it kills capital formation. It's it's uh, it's uh, it, a lot of it's really vague, like the Volcker rule. Very hard to know how that's just not going to make trial attorneys rich. Yeah. And I think, uh, but but this is a different dimension. In particular, a lot of the Dodd Frank Act was dealing with sophisticated par- counterparties. Uh, transacting with each other and then putting rules there. Here we're talking about your your mom, your father, saving for retirement and yeah. potentially could be taken advantage of. And by definition, they don't understand the space. And, and obviously, this is coming, you know, within a relative, you know, feasible time frame after the the, the banking crisis and the recession, right. and where so many people lost a lot of their retirement and people are having to work longer now yeah. to be able to try and recoup some of the money that they lost. Yeah, and what I always tell people, and this is really the bottom line, because people are confused. Who can I trust? Yeah. Um, what I always tell people on my show is memorize the following, only fee only. And that what yeah. that means is that it, you work with somebody who is a fee-only advisor. If you ask somebody, are you a fee-only advisor, and they come back and say, yes, I'm a fee-based advisor, believe it or not, that's deception. Yeah, fee-based. Um, fee-based is yeah. not the same thing as fee-only. It means fee-based means they charge you a fee, and they charge you a lot of these hidden commissions. Only fee only, and that type of advisor will have to uh, abide by fiduciary responsibilities, yeah. not just on your IRA rollover, but in any advice that they general. give you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, your calls are welcome at 844 Wharton, 844 942 7866. Your comments are welcome. Your questions for Ken Smetters, Wharton professor, and also host of Your Money every Tuesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time here on Sirius XM 111. Let's head out west to Santa Fe, New Mexico. David is on the line. David, go ahead. Yeah, my question is, what does the fiduciary duty really add to the equation? Um, my understanding is that financial advisors have to follow the, the suitability rule, suitability. which requires them yeah. to have a reasonable basis to recommend the purchase or sale of a security. So yeah. how could they ever um, have a reasonable basis if they're not acting in the best interest of their client. Yeah, I mean, it's so suitability, that's a great question because it's incredibly subtle difference. And a lot of the people defend broker-dealers and the commissions, um, they will say suitability or, uh, 
in many cases would be similar to fiduciary, but there, there's actually a big distinction. Suitability um, only pertains to whether an investment is suitable for that person given their risk tolerance, their age, their capacity to take on risk. So you, for example, you're, if your grandmother's 85 years old, not working, it's uh, the suitable investment for her is not a high risk investment. And so, however, even you can satisfy the suitability requirement by still enriching the advisor. And in, in particular, um, if the advisor has a, a choice between a bond fund A that doesn't pay himself a very really large commission, bond fund B that does pay him a, a really large commission, he's still satisfying the suitability rule by going with a bond fund B that's paying him a large uh, a commission because the investments themselves are still suitable for your grandmother. So what a fiduciary would have to do is say, you know what, I can't take kind of hidden commissions. I'm going to charge you explicit fee. And that fee has to be uh, kind of uh, compatible with with the services provided. So so no fiduciary, no fee-only advisor. Um, A true fiduciary is a fee-only advisor. No fee-only advisor takes hidden commissions because, uh, or any type of commission. um, And because it's so, so, so that's the real distinction is how much is it costing your grandmother to get into that investment? Okay. I mean, I, I think I see the distinction. I guess what I'm hung up on is I don't see how the recommendation could be, quote, unquote, suitable. I understand that, you know, there might be a match between um, the security being recommended and the yeah. investment profile of the, of the customer. Right. But how can the recommendation be suitable how can there be a reasonable basis for it if, uh, given your example, yeah, yeah, there's well, a cheaper, there's a cheaper, you know, oh, there's a, I, I agree, fund that's cheaper. Oh, I don't disagree with you at all. I, in my opinion, it's not suitable. But I'm saying what the law actually says. The law says mm-hmm. that it actually is suitable because the law only cares about the kind of the risk. Uh, uh, the tolerance and the other kind of variables around whether this should be a mostly a bond fund it ignores the cost and I don't, don't get me wrong I I actually would be happy to change the suitability requirement to essentially make it a fiduciary requirement that includes that cost difference David thanks very much for the all uh, let's head to San Jose California Mark is on the line Mark go ahead uh, hi Chen um, I'm curious if you had a magic wand and I think you uh, talked a little bit about this before, but if you had a magic wand, what would you like to see the rule? How would you like to see the new rule play out? Yeah. And if everybody was a fee-based fiduciary, would there be some adverse consequences to that on around access to financial advice? Sure, sure. Both good questions. And by the way, you use the terminology fee-based. That's how tricky this yeah. this area is. It's right. actually fee-only that we always want to be looking for if we want a true fiduciary. Um, so, But in any case, um, the first uh, question was uh, uh, regarding just re- how, how you'd like to see the rule yeah, revised. So if I had a magic wand, what I would uh, do is simply have the rule basically have, be a, a true fiduciary requirement that basically is not compatible with commissions, and that is uh, all IRA rollovers are handled by a fee-only advisor where the charge is either an hourly basis or a project fee. There's just simply no hidden commissions. And so uh, that's that's how I would do it. But actually, if I had a real magic wand, I would go beyond this rule and uh, impose that requirement for all financial advice to 
households, and that would include your brokerage account, not just things covered under ERISA, but everything else, including your, your private brokerage account. Now, this, your second question is, what would happen if all advisors were required to be fee-only? Um, and, and what we're really saying here is that they could not use a compensation uh, structure that involved these hidden commissions there. They have to be very explicit with their with their charges. Well, two, two countries, the United Kingdom and Australia, have switched over to this model, and Germany is in the process of switching over to this model where there's no commissions. And so a lot of the commission industry has pointed out well, wait a minute. Uh, what, what we're seeing there is some of the, uh, the households with less assets, they're not being served as much as they, they used to be um, when there was commissions. And my response to that is that while that may be true, it's not a lot. I mean, yeah. the, the evidence is not that strong. But while the evidence does seem to lean that way, um, the fact of the matter is that's actually a good thing. Not everybody, if I have $100,000 and I realize uh, my, my advisor is going to make 50 $5,700 immediately um, just through a front load commission and then an additional couple thousand dollars a year on 12B1s and other uh, type of uh, commissions going forward, I might say, you know what? It's not worth it for me to do that. I might actually just go and do use an online calculator or kind of do it myself and try to get educated yeah. myself. I, the argument that giving uh, ultimately what commission-based advisors are arguing for is that you have to kind of trick people out of the money and that's in their yeah. best interest. You you have to make it less transparent so they are buying your services as though their services are somehow must be a good thing versus people then, you know, uh, you know, trying to understand it themselves. Ken, do you think, you know, kind of, um, I'm, I'm out here in San Jose and Silicon Valley. Do you think that um, in that world where smaller households might uh, might be less served. Do you think this new wave of digital advice could play a role? Yeah, it's a good question. I, uh, in theory, yes. I've been concerned about the existing platforms, in particular, a lot of the promises that they're making, um, especially regarding things like tax loss harvesting, which they really harp on, and they're inf massively inflating uh, the potential uh, uh, gains from that. And secondly, they're all kind of set up to be just for younger accumulators, yeah. um, but they are. Are very, they're actually tax inefficient if you ever try to take your money out. And so they're making a lot of claims. Most people are better off just uh, doing some basic stuff on like the Vanguard website um, where they just actually use a, a low cost passive index investments like the total stock market fund, total bond fund, and just pick their mix between those two funds. I mean, that gives them great exposure, and it's, and it's still a lot cheaper. And by the way, it's even more tax efficient than what some of the robo-advisors are claiming to be. Mark, thanks very much for the call. Again, the numbers to join in, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Kent Smetters, who you hear every Tuesday, your money. Joining us for a few minutes, great opportunity for you to jump in if you'd like. I, I guess the thing f for me is sitting here and, and, and talking with you about it is the fact that there isn't some sort of fiduciary setup across the entire industry. Right. That's the thing to me that I, I sit back and I say... I, you're just basically setting it up for advisors to potentially be, you know, trying to stick that money in their back, their back pocket right. if you don't do it that way. And listen, I'm all for people making money and, right. you know, even making a lot of money. But you can't but, make money at the at the expense of other people. Right. Oh, or, 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 or I would say even more specifically, you can't make 
that money at the expense of tricking right. other, other exactly. people. Yeah. You know, I, I have no problem with if, if a person understands how much they're paying and they want to pay a large fee, if they understand it, um, and then if, from my perspective, I'm a lot, lot less uh, interested in kind of getting, interfering with that type of uh, relationship. Where right. I get upset is that by definition, we're talking about a population, they're, they're, they're asking for advice because they are unsophisticated and the only way that they would understand how they, they are being tricked on, on their commission side is if they were in fact very sophisticated. Right. And so it's that population that uh, rulemaking is, is best uh, served for. So how do you see this playing out then? I mean, what, what do you think is going to be the path that is being taken? Obviously, you think that the Trump administration is going to make some change here. Yeah, I think I think ultimately the rulemaking um, it will be a this it will go back to what it was with um, uh, not having any sort of fiduciary. And again, that that the rule that we're talking about here was got, did get really messed up. And yeah. so the, the Trump administration is right on that point. And I became a lot less excited about some of these backdoor ways of trying to get commissions. Um, but what I think is just going to kind of go back, and we're going to be back in where you know most uh, financial advice is given on a commission basis and enriching yeah. a lot of a lot of people. I, so the problem with changing the industry the way the United Kingdom has done it, the way Australia has done it, the way Germany is about to do it, is that we have this weird coalition of kind of red and blue states. If you think yeah. about the states where a lot of the commission based advisors are. We're talking about a lot of the fund companies are in New York, Massachusetts, yeah. California. These are states that are typically blue states, but yeah. ironically, <laughs> you know, the Democrats who should be concerned about this from those states are very much in favor of the industry because they're representing the, uh, the, their, their constituents. And then you have these kind of red state guys who don't really care so much, but, you know, government regulation must be bad. And so you have this <laughs> weird coalition between this blue and red states that, yeah. you know, I think we'll keep this uh, uh, non-fiduciary practice alive for a long Certain, time. Certainly the concern uh, uh, of the relationship between Wall Street and, and government. And obviously, as you mentioned, with a couple of those states, it was it was a very important topic when, oh, yeah. when we were talking about uh, back in November. Great yeah. to see you again, my friend. My Great to see you. Pleasure being here. And uh, he will be back uh, Tuesdays in his uh, normal slot. Uh, your money here from 5 to 7 p.m. every Tuesday night here on Sirius XM 111. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.